0: Hello, I'm Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast to get you thinking about biblical and historical Christianity, to inspire you to follow Christ, and to convict you to lead a consecrated life. Pastor Victor Gluckin of Living Faith Christian Church in Rhode Island shares about his journey of faith. He was Mr. Popularity in high school. Everyone loved him, however, he was spiritually dead and lifted up with pride. His breaking point came when he left his small town and attended George Washington University in DC. He planned to study political science before launching a career in public service, eventually culminating in his election as the President of the United States. However, when he got to GW, he discovered that he was just one of many ex-high school presidents with big dreams. God humbled him and showed him the truth about his heart. Listen to this episode to hear the rest of his story, as well as Gluckin's appeal to you to consider your own life. Here now is podcast episode 65, What I've Been Saved From. Thank you. Please be seated. Every time before I, before I uh, preach on Sunday,
1: I, I have a dream that night before, without fail, it's been that way, uh, you know, from I don't make it to the church to, you know, I don't have my notes, which happened once, but... Last night, my dream was I had to preach this in my high school auditorium to all of a rowdy crowd of high schoolers. They're all shouting out at me, no, that's not true, things like that. So I'm blessed that I can speak in front of my family rather than them this morning. And I am going to speak intimately this morning about myself and my journey to become a Christian. And uh, I hope that in, in doing so myself, it We'll find a place in your heart that you can relate to, and uh, we can share this together. So, uh, just wanted to quickly share with you a little bit about my upbringing. I was raised in a uh, Christian home where we went to uh, home fellowships and church uh, fairly weekly. You know, son of a preacher man, that whole thing. Very, very good upbringing. Middle class. You know, I was, I was very blessed. Love, very loving family. Uh, good friends good other, other Christian people to be with. I was able to spend summers with other Christian young people and have uh, grown in those relationships together. I was very, very popular in high school. I was the most popular kid in my entire school, probably my whole town. I could have run for like councilman or something and probably done okay. A small school, about 555 kids, seven through twelve in a little rural town in upstate New York. And uh in ninth grade, which was unprecedented unprecedented, I was elected student council president. Ninth grade to start when I was in tenth grade and I was gonna be the president of the entire student body there. And uh I was I was reelected each of the years. So I was I was student council president in my high school for pretty much my entire time in high school. And it was came my entire my entire life. I I got to school at seven o'clock in the morning, and many nights, uh, usually about at least two nights a week, I wouldn't go home until nine at night. I wasn't doing schoolwork, but I was just involving myself. I would, I mean, I went to board meetings, I went to school board meetings, and I was the only person there. And I had no, you know, they would ask like, is there a particular reason why you're here? And, And there never really was. It was just I wanted to. I really took seriously that I was representing the students. In high school, um, I was a, a three-sport uh, varsity player. I, I really excelled in soccer. I was put on the varsity soccer team when I was in tenth grade, and uh, that was, you know, a real honor. And I was a lot uh, in a lot better shape back then, and uh, was able to, to do that. And and I just, you know, I really just involved myself as much as I possibly could in 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 school in high school. Uh, one of my uh, Favorite moments was we had a, a soccer playoff game, and it it was that they they started them early so that they could finish them before it got dark. So it started at about two o'clock. So I convinced the superintendent to dismiss the entire school early so that the entire school, you know, 500 kids could come out and watch the soccer game, and it was awesome. I mean, we started the game and the, they hadn't dismissed them yet. So the other team, you know, we're playing. All of a sudden, just hundreds and hundreds of kids are all running down to the soccer field to watch us. And I took a lot of pride in that because, you know, I, I was the one who had talked to him about that. And I had a, a very, very good group of friends that I hung out with. Uh, good in the sense that we, we, we never went out and partied and we never went out and, uh, I don't know what, you know, knock over cows and things like that with some people. Some people do, or hit mailboxes with bats as you drive by, uh, things like that. Um, I never got drunk, my entire my entire time. Uh, I did not have uh, any sexual. I did not have sex in high school. I did not uh, do any drugs. I never even smoked cigarettes. So I was a really, really good kid. And and as as a student in high school, as as the president of the student body. Uh, We did a lot of good things. We had a a Thanksgiving food drive every year where we would just rally the community together to get canned goods and turkeys and uh, things like that. And we would go out the week before school ended and we would uh, deliver them to all of the people who needed them, you know, needy families. I I organized blood drives in my high school and uh, we got, like, students to all get involved and donate blood. And, you know, that that was a really wonderful thing that we were all able to do um, and really what what I was able to do was I got people to like coming to school right? they really like looked forward to coming to school and they hadn't done that before so I I prided myself in that a lot also and and uh, for you who are removed from being in high school I'm sure not by too many years most of you but uh, you know I, I hope that you can relate to thinking back on your time in school and not being younger this is most of my life was spent in school so far. So this is um, as I'm describing things that happened in my life. This is what I'm uh, reflecting back to. So I I got people to get involved in things. We used to have you know dozens and dozens and dozens of people come out to all the sports games because I would just go all through the school and promote them. I mean you know like the modified girls you know whiffle ball team had like crowds at it because. I just really wanted people to get involved and like school and like what they were doing and we were able to do a lot of good things. Um, my real glory day was my last day of high school and, uh, right, our, and our senior class was very special. At the end of the day, my last day in high school ever, as the bell rang and classes were dismissed for the summer, the pretty much the entire school got together in the lobby and over the loudspeaker, I played uh, the song by the psychic lady, Dionne Warwick. That's what friends are for. You've heard that song? And, and everyone in the school was standing there together just hugging and crying. And, and, I, and I was standing on the steps looking down at everyone and I showed them the Ten Commandments. And, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but this was, this was a real, real special day for me because all that I had worked for and done and <clears throat> excuse me, really invested my time in doing was all I, I could really see the fruit of it and it was and it was really, really wonderful. And like I said, I was raised in a in a in a godly home and you know I, I knew I knew very well how to play the part of the of the good kid and, and be involved and always have my hand up first when somebody would ask a question and always help someone. You know, I was raised to do that as well. But but honestly, um, in describing my life to you a little bit the idea that God was going to improve my life and that Christianity was, you know, that God wanted to bless me and take care of me and things like that, that didn't appeal to me much at all because God really, I was I was already happy. I was really, you know, in a good situation. I, I was doing a lot of good things, like I said, the turkeys and the blood drives and things like that and, and getting people to feel better about themselves and things like that. And this is what my whole life was about And uh, so Christianity was kind of like, you know, it helped me be a well-rounded person, if you understand what I mean. And uh, I remember my friends and I, we always used to talk about how, how we really envied some of the great stories of our parents, of other people, when they would share about how they were sleeping on the street and how they were homeless. And then, you know, a voice from heaven called them and they became a Christian. And you know what I mean? These stories of like these dramatic turnarounds, you know. The guy who was the gang leader, and he just was humbled one day, and he turned his life over to God, and then he went out and wist, witnessed to the whole gang. I mean, just these dramatic, amazing stories. I used to envy them because I said that if I had a story like that, if I had really seen what it was like to be in the darkness, then to be, then I just I knew I would have been passionate about God. I knew I would have been excited about God like these guys were, um, and and they were you know there's a someone I know, Chuck, You know, he, he slept in a box. And like then he comes and tells everyone how he's a Christian now. And I'm just like, man, I wish I had something like that or that happened to me in my life because I would have been passionate like he was now because it was just this part of my life forever. And it, it wasn't really that big a deal. I wish that it could have happened to me so I would have been passionate and excited about God because I would have known what it would have been to have a hard life and then have God... Fix it for me. And I really, I really was looking forward to that um, if that could ever happen. I mean, I remember talking with our friends. We thought about like going out sleeping on the street so that we would be excited about God like these other people were. So I really, I really was a really good person. I really lived a really good life. I was really thankful for that. Um, And then when I went to college, I, I really had a wake up call because growing up in high school, I wanted to be the president of the United States. And uh, I, I mean, I was serious about it. I mean, from like fifth grade, you know, and what do you want to be when you grow up? And you made a big display, the fireman and all these different things. And I had the big seal of the president behind me, and that's what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I was convinced, and everyone signed my yearbook, invite me to the White House when you get there and things like that. And so I went to college, and I went to George Washington University in Washington, D.C. because I figured, you know, just get closer and closer to my eventual destiny of the White House. And, uh, you yeah, know, I learned how to do the thumb thing, you know, of, the, of the, poli- the politician thing and stuff like that. So I went to George Washington University, great, great school. Uh, you know, it was going to be very expensive, but I knew that this was what I needed to do to, to get there, to the place I wanted to be. And, and uh, like I said, I described quickly how I was in high school and, you know, popular and, and uh, you know, able to just do anything. And I got to college, and I had a real wake-up call. Because everyone at George Washington University was just like me. All the student council presidents, all the popular kids, all the kids who played three sports and did the blood drives and the Thanksgiving turkey. I was just one of them, you know, 6,000 of them now. And I didn't know what to do. And I shut myself up in my dorm room. I didn't, you know, I, I I ate lunch. I went to class. I would come home. I would read the newspaper. And I would go eat lunch by myself every day. Because I was so intimidated and I was so scared. And it, it was a really a wake-up call. Everyone was just like me. Nothing was the same. I no longer had friends. Um, I was afraid of making friends because all I knew about alcohol was that you either didn't drink or you got drunk. So I was, like, scared about that. I didn't know that, you know, I could have a glass of wine. That would be okay. But um, I wouldn't, like, freak out and do something weird, you know, by one drink. But my comfort zone was gone. And suddenly I woke up and I realized that everything that I had built and that I had made in my life and I had done was gone. Nobody knew who I was. I ran for a dorm dorm building treasurer and like nobody even knew who I was. And I remember I was walking up the stairs and I had put flyers all over the stairs and someone was walking up this who the heck is that? Victor Glickian you know some and, and i you know it just crushed me and, and and this was what was happening and really what was happening was i was being humbled i was being humbled because in reality although i thought i was a good person i was a really bad person and i say that because i was a liar i was a really really good liar i would i was so good at lying that i would lie even when i didn't have to lie because I was good at it. My friends would call me up, ask for excuses they could give to their parents because they knew that I was good at lying, All right? So I was, I was, this is what I was, you know, I just described to you who I was and now I'm going to tell you really intimately in my heart who I really was and this, I was being shown this as I was being humbled when I initially went to college. I was a thief. While I was uh, the student council president, we would frequently go out to the China buffet and the student council paid for it because they trusted me with the money, and you know I would do other things with the money. And you know, part of you know, you're on the job, you're going out doing other things. Might as well stop at the Chinese buffet and pull up a chair. I was I was lustful. I was very lustful at the same time. I told you I didn't have sex before I was married, but I I got into pornography. I was lustful with any girl that I dated, um, and these thoughts would be in my head during the day at school. Um, I was envious and covetous. I I had to have the nicest clothes. I had to have the brand new Air Jordan sneakers as soon as they came out. Now, I told you I was a three-sport varsity athlete, and I was, I was decent at soccer and track. And basketball, I was the white kid on the bench. Let's just put it that way. But I had to have those Jordan sneakers... And I thought that it was, I actually rationalized that it was good that I had them because the other team, when we were doing warm-ups, would see and they would think I was the one they needed to watch. And then I'd be on the bench the whole night until the last minute of the game and uh, we were blown out or something like that, and, and I would fool them. But I would spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars because I wanted people to see me wearing these shoes or something like that. I remember the first time I bought a pair of shoes for a hundred dollars, and I'm thinking about this now, my wife and I. I mean, if we could have like just a couple of those hundreds back and pay our, you know, utilities and stuff like that, but um, we we really uh, the first time I got one, it was this black pair of Nikes, and I convinced my parents that I needed them and, and all those things. And uh, I think God did this purposely, but I still have those shoes, and they fit. Perfectly. Still, so it's like the next pair and the next pair and the next pair that I kept getting was all about was all about me and, and being covetous. One of the, one last thing about about me and and really realizing that in in reality I was a bad person was I was very mean. I was very very mean. I, I uh, in good humor I would make fun of people. I mean I I really really was really mean. I would make sure that everyone knew that. The overweight girl who we were friends with was overweight. I felt that was my duty because they would laugh and I would feel better about myself. Um, You know, the kid who didn't have the sneakers or whatever, I was the champion of making them feel like crap. That's what I did. I was very, very mean. Um, I told you I was popular and well-liked, and I was, but I was also very, very, very mean. And uh, it didn't bother me. It didn't bother me till someone would cry or something like that. It didn't bother me. So I thought I was good in the eyes of the people around me when in fact I was bad because I was comparing myself to other people and not to Jesus Christ. Andy said that a few uh, months ago at one of the men's fellowships that we compare ourselves many times to the world and we feel better about ourselves when really the standard that mankind should be comparing themselves to is Jesus Christ and we fall short then. So think about this for a minute. If a convicted criminal is in a courtroom and he is convicted and guilty of killing one person and someone else is in the courtroom on the same day next to him and is being tried and convicted of killing two people, should the judge let the one who had killed one go because there's someone who's done it twice? No. no. The person who commits crimes and is guilty of committing crimes, regardless of how many times someone else has, they are still guilty. So I talked myself out of thinking that I was bad or I was guilty because I did a lot of good things. I did a lot of things that helped people, and I was nice to people, and I you know made people feel better about themselves, without thinking that at the same time I was doing the opposite. You can turn to Matthew 5. It would be unjust of the judge to let the one who committed the murder one time go, simply because there's someone who committed two murders. Right? For justice to happen, crimes need to be punished. The consequences need to follow. Go to Matthew chapter 5. So, And that's that's how I felt about myself. I was good simply because I hadn't done any of the big crimes. I never killed anybody. I never murdered anyone. I never raped anyone. I never committed adultery or some of these these big crimes. So I thought I was good. But yet, I still had committed crimes against God. So my destiny in reality from the Bible was not good, although I thought I was good. Matthew 5, Jesus speaks in verse 21. You have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whosoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into fiery hell. So, I never killed anybody. But you know what? I was angry. And I called people fools. So, in fact, I was guilty. I was guilty. Look at verse 27. I never committed adultery, I said. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So I said I was not that bad of a person. But, in fact, if God judged me according to His standards, I was. I was. I was a murderer. I was an adulterer. How many times did I need to lie until I was considered a liar? Once. Once. So I was a liar. So, in reality, although I thought I was a good person, I was deceived. I was deceiving my own self. Romans six twenty three, Paul tells us that the wages of sin is what? The consequence of sin, no matter how big or small, it is death. James one fifteen tells us that these evil desires lead to evil actions. And evil actions lead to death. So my destiny, although I thought I was a good person, in fact, was not good. Was not good at all. Ephesians 2 tells us that the sons of disobedience, comparing people who are of God and who are not of God, are by nature the children of wrath. Okay? Now, these verses has, have hit me in a new way recently because I've seen, although the world tells us, you hear on the news even, that we are all God's children. Well, we are all God's creation, but by nature, I am an enemy of God. And I never knew that. I never knew that. I never knew that. I was a good person. I, I did the Thanksgiving turkey drive. You know, I, I all these different things. I, went to, I even went to church. But by nature, I, I was not in good shape. Revelation 21, eight says, But for the cowardly and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So this verse hits me and I'm thinking, Well, I'm not a murderer. I never killed anybody. But liars, immoral persons, people who are afraid to do what is right, the cowardly, that's all there together. So... So now I'm thinking, well, what if I don't like God's standards? It seems that God has a standard of righteousness, and I fell very short of it, although I was convinced I didn't. So what, what my, what my first tendency would be is, well, you know what? God's mean, he's harsh. Those standards aren't right. Those standards aren't right. You know that that's my, I'm rationalizing in my own head. But again, I'm in front of the court, and this time I, I didn't kill someone, but I actually. Uh, I drove 55 miles an hour in a 25 mile per hour school zone and I'm standing before the judge and I say, Judge, I just don't think that those standards are right. Okay? How's that going to hold up? That, that wasn't a good excuse either. Right? The standard for the 25 mile per hour school zone was there for a reason. It was to protect the children. It was to make sure that things were safe and right and if I don't agree with it, that doesn't mean that it's wrong suddenly. Right? These standards of God are right. They're just. I'm the one who had the problem. My destiny, if God judged me based on his standards, I would be guilty, and my destiny would be the lake of fire. You can turn to Second Peter. So as I said, I'm I'm in college and I was I was very alone. And at the same time, I had been learning that I had been learning about the kingdom of God and I had been learning uh, a little bit more about really who my God was. And uh, it was just really, really convicting me of really where I stood in light of God's justice. And one night in my college dorm room, I had had never listened to Christian music before and I was listening to uh, some that night and I was all by myself. I had two other roommates who I got along with well, but... They were not there. I, I, I just... I didn't know what else to do. I felt helpless. I felt lost. And uh, I realized finally that I was not a good person. In fact, I was a sinner. And I needed God badly. And I laid down on my face, all spread out on the floor. I don't even know what I said. And I was just like... Okay, I can't do it anymore. okay. you know And in, in my heart I, I said from now on that I, I, I wanted to I needed to submit to God. I was helpless. My world that I thought was this great place, I was the most important person in it, suddenly was completely destroyed. And the only thing that was the same I had knew, I had known about God growing up. And now that all my I had no friends and all these things, the only thing that was consistent in my world was that God was still there. The only thing that was the same. That was the only thing that was the same. God wanted me to repent because His kingdom was coming, and we've learned about this recently. But I want you to read in Second in Peter with me. I'm going to have it here on the screen in the New Living Translation. The Lord isn't really being slow about His promise to return as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to perish, so he is giving more time for everyone to do what? Repent. But the day of the Lord will come, as unexpectedly as a thief. The heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and everything in them will disappear in fire. And the earth and everything on it will be exposed to judgment. Since everything around us is going to melt away, what holy... Godly lives you should be living. You should look forward to that day and hurry it along, the day when God will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heaven and a new earth. He has promised a world where everyone is right with God. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to live a pure and blameless life and be at peace with God. And remember, the Lord is waiting so that people have time to be saved. I like that translation because it it gives us a hint of what we've made, one of our catchphrases about everything wrong with the world being made right when Jesus Christ comes back. But what hit me was I was one of the things that was wrong. (laughs) Okay, So when Jesus Christ came back, the rejoicing wouldn't be done by me. Acts 17.30, Paul tells the people of Mars Hill who knew not the true God, he says that God has overlooked the time of ignorance, but he is now declaring everywhere that men should repent because he has fixed the day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man who he has appointed. In Mark 1, 14 through 15 Jesus comes out on the scene and he, he begins preaching what he calls the gospel of God, saying the kingdom of God is at hand Repent and believe the gospel. And we know on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, where Peter gives his great sermon, What then shall we do? The people answer after they are pricked in his heart. And he says, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And with many other words he began to testify, trying to persuade them of these things, declaring that they needed to save themselves from this perverse generation. So the kingdom of God coming, actually, although we talk about the truth that everything wrong with the world will be made right, in fact, for me, where I stood unrepented and a lying, just vile heart, that was not a good thing for the kingdom to come back for me. So when Peter writes that the the reason why Jesus Christ has not come back yet is because He's giving you time to repent, that that suddenly meant something to me personally. I took that personally. That I had time to turn my life over to God. That didn't mean His judgment was not coming or that Jesus Christ was not coming back, because it will, it said in Peter. But the only reason that it hasn't yet is because... So I began to realize that although my pride told me I was right, I wasn't. Good people do not enter the kingdom of God. Forgiven, faithful, obedient people enter the kingdom of God. And there's a difference. Because like I said, I was a good person. I described to you all the good things I had done. Romans 8, Here you can look along here. Romans 8 tells us, For the mind set on the flesh is death, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. For if you, for if I am living according to the flesh, I must die. Now, again, I ask myself, well, that sounds that God is mean, but in fact, God was right, I was wrong. Go to Romans chapter 2. If you're an Acts, go to Romans chapter 2. Romans 1 gives us a description about some of the uh, evil things that men does. And Paul writes in Romans 2, and, and stay there in your Bibles, but read along with me now. In the New Living Translation, verse 1 through 16, you have been saying, What terrible people you've been talking about. Alright, so Paul writes this letter to me, and and he just describes all these horrible, horrible people and and such. And I and I say, Man, well, I never killed anybody. Or I never, you know, all these different things that I use to rationalize my own behavior. So I may be saying, What terrible people Paul was just talking about. But Paul told me, You are just as bad. And you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself, Victor. For you do the very same things. And we know that God in His justice will punish anyone who does such things. Do you think that God will judge and condemn others for doing them and and not judge you when you do them too? Don't you realize how kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Or don't you care? Can't you see how kind He has been in giving you time to turn From your sins. But no, you won't listen. So you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself because of your stubbornness in refusing to turn from your sin. I didn't want to stop these things that I was doing. made me feel good, all this. For there is going to come a day when the judgment of God, the just judge of the world, will judge all people according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who persist in doing what is good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his... And wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and practice evil deeds. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on sinning, for the Jew first and also the Gentile, that's everyone. But there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good, for the Jew first and also the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. God will punish the Gentiles when they sin, even though they never had God's written law. And He will punish the Jews when they sin, for they... Do not for they do have God's law, for it is not merely knowing the law that brings God approval, those who obey the law will be declared right in God's sight. Even when the Gentiles who do not have God's written law instinctively instinctively follow what the law says, they show that it is in their hearts they know right from wrong. They demonstrate that God's law is written within them, for their own consciences, either for their own consciences either accuse them or tell them they are doing what is right. The day will surely come when God, by Jesus Christ, will judge everyone's secret life. And this is this was Paul's message. It was different from what I had heard as I was growing up. I had a conscience, and what the conscience is, a conscience means with knowledge. And and it was this thing in me that told me what I was doing was wrong, but what I began to do was, I took the batteries out of the smoke alarm, so to speak. It was trying to beep and let me know, don't do it. And I took the batteries out, so it didn't feel bad anymore when I was doing the things I was doing. But that didn't make it right. Look in your Bibles with me at Romans 2, 4 and 5. Do you not think lightly of the riches of His kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation. Of the righteous judgment of God. This verse confused me for a long time because it's the kindness of God, we read, that leads men to repentance, or the goodness of God, as the King James says. Now, it's not the kindness in the sense that God is a warm, fuzzy, spiritual Santa Claus, come sit on my lap, little boys and girls, and I'll give you whatever you want for Christmas. But it is His kindness in light of His justice. Okay, I'm back in the courtroom, and I've been convicted of my crimes, and the judge says that the sentence that I have been that I have earned myself by my own crimes is death. And it begins to sink in, and and I'm sitting there, and I and I get cuffed, and I'm being led away, and I begin to cry, and I and I have this sorrow and and fear about what is coming, um, and this just just uncertainty about what the rest of my life holds while I'm in a jail cell until I am ultimately destroyed. And as I'm walking away someone comes and and taps me on the shoulder and says, Victor, I will take your punishment for you. I will take your punishment for you and the judge says that he will accept it. What feelings do I have now knowing that I was condemned and guilty and yet someone I don't even know tapped me on the shoulder and cried out to me and says, I will take your punishment for you. What feelings does that bring in my heart, in your heart? That's what it means that the goodness of God leads men to repentance. That's it right there. You are condemned. If you have sinned, you have committed crimes against God. And I'm looking at Hitler across the room and I'm pleading, he's a lot worse than me. But, But the judge says, he'll have his time. We're talking about you right now. And I have the crimes that you've committed here too, and and the, the punishment is the same. And that's what the kindness of God means. That as I'm walking away, I'm aware of my punishment, that Jesus Christ offers to take our punishment for us. I never understood that before. I heard that Jesus Christ died for my sins my whole life. Honestly, it wasn't until about two months ago when I really understood what that meant. And that's what Paul says his message was about. The very gospel message that he spoke was that judgment was coming. The kingdom of God was at hand. Repent in light of it. Because God wants to save you. He's giving time so that you may turn. God is pleading with man through the gospel. Repent. Because the kingdom judgment is coming. And and I just see amazing, amazing love and amazing kindness. And that's the kindness that leads people to repentance. Amen? So ultimately, I I did, I repented, and so instead of the wrath of God awaiting me, the paradise of God awaits me. And I am endeavoring now to walk down the road that leads to the kingdom, and Jesus' words are my directions. But the road is not easy, now that I have turned. The temptations are there. But the road is straight and narrow, and I'm thankful for that. From time to time, I fall and trip on this road, but I cannot turn around. I believe that if Jesus had come back years ago, I would not have entered the kingdom of God. Turn to Philippians 3. Galatians, Ephesians, and then Philippians chapter 3. The good things I've done, so-called good things that I did when I was in high school and when I was younger, they bother me now. I'm ashamed of them because they were all about me. They were all about me. Every good thing I ever did was so that my name could be promoted, so that people... You know, I never said, guys, look what I did, but I had that intention in my mind. Right? I stood on the steps... While everyone else was hugging and crying in the on the last day of school, because I was waiting for them to look at me. Right? And Paul felt the same way. In Philippians three, verse four, second part of the verse, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcise the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church; as to the righteousness which is by the law, found blameless. Paul describes his resume before he became a Christian. He says, "I was I was born of Israel. I was of the tribe of Benjamin, which, which meant something uh, significant because Benjamin was where the first king came from, Saul. And Benjamin and Judah were of, oh, the only two tribes that came back after the exile. So there was great pride in being of Benjamin." He was a Pharisee. He was very zealous. So zealous as a Jew that he was convinced, as he killed the Christians in the early part of the book of Acts, he was pleasing his God. He was convinced of that. He was. Of the law blameless, he said. Verse 7. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as a loss for the sake of of Christ. More than I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing knowledge, I'm sorry, the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I had suffered the loss of all things. I count them, but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. I may be found of him not having a righteousness, my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness, which comes from God on the basis of faith. So Paul said, the things which I did before I turned my life over to Christ, it was garbage. It was rubbish. Does the King James say dung? Okay. The things that Paul did before he turned his life over to Christ, he valued. And he didn't do all these horrible, horrible, horrible things. He did the right things, so-called. But compared to what he knew he needed, and began to do, once he turned his life over to the Messiah, it was garbage. It was something he didn't want to think about anymore. He didn't want hanging around. Okay, It was like I was going to bring an old, uh, dirty, sweaty t-shirt in and pass it around. <laughs> but we did the laundry yesterday, praise God. <laughs> but it's not something you want around you. It makes you sick. That's how I feel about the things that I did before I was, became a Christian. Because it brought no glory to God. It brought all glory to Victor. It did not turn one person over to Jesus Christ. And I regret that. I regret that. And again, I considered myself a good person. So God, for the first time, has revealed what mercy, long-suffering, and grace are. Really are. We've, we hear those words a lot in Christianity. But long-suffering and mercy don't mean anything without judgment that's involved in it at all. I received mercy as I was walking away condemned to death by the judge. It wasn't that just that God was nice or a pushover or something like that. But when I knew my disease and my sickness and really understood it, the doctor said, But we have a cure for that disease. Mercy implies compassion that forbears punishing, even when justice demands it. Right? Justice demands that I be destroyed and annihilated because I have rebelled against my Creator. But, as the song goes, mercy said no. Mercy gave me an opportunity. Grace and long-suffering... Now have a new meaning to my heart. Go to Luke seven, Luke chapter seven, verse thirty six. Now, one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him, speaking about Jesus. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table, and there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume and was standing behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him. That she is a sinner. Verse 40, And Jesus answered, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, Say it, teacher. And he tells them this parable in verse 41. A moneylender had two debtors, one owned owed 500 denarii, which are a day's wages. Think about how much you make in a day. And this gentleman owes uh, his master, or this debtor, 500 times what he makes in a day. 500 days work. And the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them, Jesus asks, will love him more? Simon answered and says, I suppose the one he forgave more. And he said, you have judged correctly. Turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. What we need to recognize is that our sin, no matter how big or small or how many times or how few we think we have committed, are a big deal. And that each sin, the consequence for sin, is death. We need to understand that. I never understood that. I didn't care. It wasn't that big a deal that the little things I did. Because I compared myself to others. I didn't compare myself to Jesus Christ and God's standards. It's a big deal to God, although it wasn't to me. Every sin will be punished. Every crime has to be paid for. But what the gospel tells us is that this will happen. But either it can happen to you and you can be punished for your sins or Jesus can take the punishment for your sins. He can accept them. He can, he can do them on your behalf if we repent and have faith in the Messiah. You know what this Pharisee Simon didn't understand was that he was a sinner too. Just as much as the woman who anointed Jesus' feet. She got that, though, and he didn't. She was humble, and he wasn't. He was a Pharisee, after all. I'm sure he had done a lot of good things as well. But again, I'm standing before the judge, and I say to the judge, I say, Judge, I know I killed that man, but you know what? I've helped a lot of other people since then. Oh, okay, go ahead, free. No, that's not what he'll say, even in our courts, right? And she wanted to do whatever was necessary to get that forgiveness, In turn, her recognizing her sin and what a big deal it was and that to think that she could be forgiven of her sins, it motivated her to love. It motivated her to love. He who was forgiven of much loves much and he who is forgiven of little loves little. I'm telling you today that you, myself, we have sinned big. We need when God has forgiven us, if He has, if you're sitting here as a Christian right now already today, you have been forgiven much. Maybe you need to think about that like I needed to to realize that the consequence of my so-called little crimes was still death. It didn't matter. Romans 6:23 for the wages of some sins is no, it doesn't say that, right? It's very straightforward. So if you're sitting here thinking that you haven't done that many bad things or that you've done a lot of bad things, whatever it is, recognize that if you are a Christian today, you have been forgiven much, love much. If you're sitting here and you are not a Christian, if you have not yet turned your life over to submit to Jesus' commands, you have sinned much. You're in the courtroom, you're being led away. Someone's tapping on your shoulder, and I would say, listen to what he's saying. Today, we must become sober in our minds to where we stand with God. Have you truly repented of your sins? Are you just playing church? Are you relying on the fact that you are a good person? Do you really understand what a big deal it is that Jesus died instead of you? God knows the secret thoughts of our hearts and that is what will be revealed in the last day. Today is the day of salvation. You can turn to God and ask Him to help you rid yourselves of your evil and pride in your heart or you can continue to think that He doesn't see it. God is pleading with you to be reconciled back to him he's pleading with you that's what the gospel is that's what paul said his message was that the kingdom of god is coming repent please in light of it realize where you are headed and make the right choice we read in romans 2 that that the day will surely come when god by jesus christ will judge everyone's secret life this is my message I stand today thankful for what Jesus Christ did for me, a sinner, and I have nothing, nothing to boast about but Jesus, my King. And I stand here today thankful so much for the blood of Jesus Christ. The King of the Kingdom of God died instead of me. The King of the Kingdom. Not some random Jewish guy from Nazareth. But the man who will one day rule the world tapped you on the shoulder. I am so relying on the blood of Jesus Christ. I am banking on it. I need it. Because you know what? Even the good things I do now, which I, I must do in obedience to Jesus Christ, that still doesn't open the doors of the kingdom for me. Only Jesus' blood does. I need that. I want to do anything I can to partake of that. If I have to cry and wash his feet with my tears and dry it with my hair, I want want him to know that I need that blood. Jesus died so a punk, prideful kid could have opportunity to have life in the age to come. I need it, his sacrifice, and I'm banking on it. And I want to do anything and everything I can now to please the great God and the coming King. And to close, let's read again this message that our brother Peter wrote to us in in chapter 3. The Lord isn't really being slow about His promise to return, as some people think. No, He's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to perish, so He is giving more time for everyone To repent, but the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief for those not watching. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and everything in them will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be exposed to judgment. And Peter tells us, think about that for a second. Since everything around us is going to be going to melt away, what holy, godly lives should you be living? You should look forward to the day and hurry it along, the day when God will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we, Peter, the repented, forgiven, obedient Peter, he is looking forward to what's after the fire, the new heavens and the new earth, as he has promised, a world where everything and everyone is right with God. And Peter wrote to us, And consider he gave you this letter today. Dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to live a pure and blameless life and be at peace with God. And remember, the Lord is waiting so that people have time to be saved. Jesus Christ will come back. When he does, the heavens will split and he will stand upon the mountain and he will take over this world in the name of God. He will come back and return it to what God originally intended. The reason he hasn't yet is because he's waiting for Colin and he's waiting for Sarah and he's waiting for Marcy and Mike. He wants to give us time so that we can turn our lives over to him. So that we can echo Peter's words and say, but we are looking for the promise that comes after the judgment the time when everything wrong with the world will be made right. That's what He's giving us time to to do right now. Take it wisely. Let's pray together. Almighty God, I pray that You would be with us right now, Lord, and forgive us of our sins. Lord, I pray that You would help us to recognize and value and understand. Just realize, God, what, what... It seems odd, Lord, but I just ask that You would really teach us what the consequence of sin is. Lord, so that we can understand it and that we can have a renewed value of Jesus' sacrifice. And that we can have a renewed commitment to obey Him for the rest of our lives, Lord, that we would not have these roller coasters of faithfulness, Lord, anymore. Lord, I pray that you hear the prayers of our hearts now and help us. Forgive us of our sins, Lord. We thank You for the promise of Your kingdom that will come and Your will will be done on the earth, Lord. But Lord, help us now to take this time as we await to do your will. Please, God. I want to ask everyone now in prayer to ask God what it might be, if anything, that is holding us back from fully surrendering to His Son. Just take one minute to pray that to God right now. I want you to pray that God, after showing you what it is that may be stopping you, please ask Him to help you to overcome it and live faithfully unto His Son. Heavenly Father, we we thank you for hearing our prayers, each one of us individually. Lord, we just ask that you would help us to rely on you more. God, that we would faithfully obey you, that you would help us to be pure and holy. And Lord, help us to have the burden on our hearts to save others and to tell them this message. God, I thank you for your love for us. Lord, your grace we're so thankful for. We did nothing to deserve your tap on our shoulders. Your call through the gospel to bring us to this point in our lives, Lord. But we are thankful for it. We praise you, God, for your goodness. You are so faithful. Your promises will come to pass, Lord. And we are so honored, God, that you would want to include us in your great dream, Lord. Your plan for mankind. Lord, we love you so much. We do, God. Lord, we rejoice in knowing your Son will return. Help us to be found doing His will when He comes to the praise and glory to your name, God. We love you. We love you. I pray this in Jesus' name.
0: If you enjoyed what you heard here, why not give Restitutio a five-star rating in iTunes or Stitcher? Doing so will help others find this podcast and inspire them to love God, follow Christ, and seek truth wherever it leads. Thanks for listening, and check us out online at restitutio.org, where you can find an archive of all the podcasts, as well as a bunch of articles and links to other resources. And remember, the truth has nothing to fear.